Good morning, HCC. We are in a sermon series called Think Big, and we're going to be reading from the book of Ecclesiastes. If you have your Bibles, open up with me to uh, Ecclesiastes. I'm really excited we have these in the pews. The Word of God is just so important. I have it on the screen for you, just uh, you know, for convenience, for ease, uh, but God's Word is so important. Um, I encourage you to you know, obviously own a Bible, bring a Bible. Um, I like ones that I can write in, so I like the ones with little notes on the sides, because sometimes it's hard to remember what the meaning of a passage is. And so if there's something that's complicated, I can always write it in on the sides, and then next time I go to read it, I remember what God's Word means. Uh, So I encourage you to have a Bible, bring a Bible, preferably one you could write in. But if you've forgotten a Bible, uh, or if you've invited somebody to church who doesn't have a Bible, uh, we've got these in the back of every seat. And uh, if you don't own one, please take one of these and make it your own. We'd love to give that to you. Um, We give it away for free, not because it's cheap, but because it is so valuable, and we want you to have it. And so if you're using one of these Bibles today, you can turn to page 619 to the book of Ecclesiastes, and we'll be reading there beginning today. Uh, While you're turning there, just wanted to uh, remind everybody that after the service, we've got uh, sandwiches for everybody who wants to join us out on the uh, the picnic tables and the playgrounds. Uh, Bring the kids. We'll hang out for a little while afterwards and enjoy the beautiful fall weather. And also, we just moved. Um, We just got all our stuff from Minnesota, brought it all down here. We got it all in our house the other day. Thank you so much to everybody who helped. And uh, yeah, now we just have to unbury ourselves from the mound of boxes. But I opened up, as we moved from Minnesota, I opened up one of our cupboards, and I saw a giant stack of these. Uh, Guys, how many of you, you have one of these in your home, in your kitchen somewhere, and you look at that, what is that for? Why do we need so many of these? Well, that was, uh, that was our house. We had tons of these. But, you know, interesting enough, it's not Sarah who's at fault for this. These are mine, actually. You know, some people collect cars. Some people collect stamps. What I do is every time there's a nice breeze, I take one of these out and I, I grab it. And then I go like that and I put it in there. And it's my wind collection. This one is from up in Duluth, Minnesota, off of Lake Superior back in 2008. And so we're, we're in a sermon series, we're called Think Big, and uh, Christians have been stereotyped by unbelievers. Christians have been stereotyped by unbelievers as people who are small-minded, simple people who just aren't very intelligent, right? Because we can't somehow think big enough to break free from the trappings of our religious upbringing. You know, we just, we're small-minded, goofy people who believe in silly superstitions, and, and that is how many unbelievers characterize Christians. Like, we just have no idea what's going on. We're unable to form, you know, coherent thoughts. And I would actually flip it around. I'd say it's completely the opposite. I would say Christians are actually the only people on the planet who are thinking big enough. Because what Christians do is we look at all the different things under the sun that we could find fulfillment in, that we could find pleasure in, and we say, but what's the ultimate meaning here? In this fleeting, momentary, small thing, what's the ultimate meaning? And so we're reading through the book of Ecclesiastes. We're reading King Solomon, who was the wisest man on earth, the wisest person in the Bible, not named Jesus. It's his journey of trying to find meaning in all those other little things under the sun. And we're reading about his journey, about how he refocuses his mind and his thoughts to what is above the sun, back on the Lord to find ultimate meaning and purpose. And so this is the second week in the series. If you missed the first week, you can always go online to Facebook, uh, to our Facebook page, Harrisonville Community Church, and catch up on what you missed. Last week, we, we read the beginning and the end of Ecclesiastes, and we looked at where Solomon ended up, which is that the, the purpose of life is to enjoy God and enjoy his fellowship forever. And so 
We're going to continue reading through Ecclesiastes, looking at Solomon's journey, and we're going to look at as he tries to find fulfillment in one of these smaller meanings under the sun. And we'll start in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10. Solomon says, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. Now, if you love money, you think you'd be satisfied when you have money, wouldn't you? And that's the great deception that Satan brings us. If you love money, you think, oh, if I have a little more, well, then I'll be satisfied. But the interesting thing is, you'll never be satisfied if that's what you love. Solomon says, you'll never be satisfied. It's vanity. And Solomon repeats this word over and over as you read the book of Ecclesiastes. Vanity, vanity, he says. It's all vanity. It's all pointless, purposeless. The Hebrew word that he's using here is habel. It means a vapor or a breath. Here one second, gone the next. It's pointless, purposeless. It doesn't fill anything. It's vanity. One of my favorite shows when I was a kid was The Simpsons. And uh, there's this older, wealthy man in the town, Mr. Burns, who has spent his entire life accumulating wealth by hook or by crook. And he's got all, he owns the whole town, right? He's the richest man, the most powerful man in the whole city. And Homer comes up to him and he says, Mr. Burns, you're the richest man I know. And Mr. Burns says, yes, but I'd trade it all for a little more. And that is Mr. Burns' personality. Like, he just wants more and more and more, and he's never satisfied. And that is King Solomon's point. As we look for meaning, as, our, as we go through life and our focus gets shifted off of the Lord and onto accumulation of wealth, we'll never be filled. We'll never be satisfied. And Solomon, this is a guy who knows what he's talking about. He is the wealthiest individual on the planet. He's actually the wealthiest person in human history when you put it into context. He knows. He's done this. And he said, it brings no meaning and fulfillment. It's vanity. And even though we've all heard that phrase before, that money doesn't buy happiness, none of us believe it. Right? You hear somebody say that, you say, money doesn't bring happiness. And you think, well, if money doesn't bring happiness, then why don't you give me yours so then I can find out for myself? And we lay awake in bed and we think, I'll be happy when. I'll be happy when I can buy that newer car, when we can get out of this house with a problem, when we can have a bank account that's really going to be there for us when we need it. Then I'll be happy. And we all do that. We lay awake at night and we think, oh, I really want this. I really want that. I saw I walked into Sam's Club the other day and they've got TVs the size of this wall for like a thousand dollars. I'm like, it's incredible. And Sarah, I lay awake, we gotta get in one of those. Can you imagine that on the wall? I'll be happy when I get that. And even though that money doesn't buy happiness is one of the most time-tested, truest statements, provable, not just through history and through other people's wisdoms, but from our own experience and our friends' experience, even though it is one of the most time-tested things of wisdom, none of us believe it. We all think we'll be happy when we get a little more. And is that you today? Are you distracted in life? Are you distracted from following the Lord and loving Him? Are you distracted from your chief purpose, your main purpose in life being knowing God and enjoying Him forever? And have you been distracted into focusing on 
making your life about knowing things and enjoying things. I'll be happy when we can have that. I'll be happy when we can afford to go there. I'll be happy when I'm driving this. That's how you know you've been distracted from knowing and enjoying God. You couldn't have a bigger house than Solomon. You couldn't travel more than Solomon. You couldn't have a better career than Solomon. You couldn't have more money than Solomon. He's got it all, and he knows. Um, my kids are I just... So we're, we're renting this house while we're, you know, moving into our new home, and we still haven't got all our beds there. You know, we're still staying here uh, in, this, in this home, and I'm so thankful for it. And uh, my friend, he's got different landscaping rocks than we did back in Minnesota all over. They're really large landscaping rocks. And my kids get out there, and kids just love rocks. And they go out and they look at the landscaping rocks, and they pick them all up, and they pick up the unique-shaped ones and the sparkly ones, and they run and show, Papa, look at this one, you know? They just love rocks. And I, I'm so glad to have this experience again, because, you know, the kids have kind of grown used to our landscaping rocks at home, and they haven't done this in a few years. And so now they're all back at it again. They all got their little pile outside of their rocks, which they think are special and unique. And it just reminded me of when, uh, when they did that back in our house in Minnesota, and I have so many good memories. And kids just love rocks. Sarah and I, we have these beach chairs, and we open up the beach chairs. When we get to the beach and you sit down, they got this little zippy bag on the side for your snacks and sunscreen and water and whatever you need. You know. And every time we go to the beach, we open up the chairs, we sit down, we unzip the bag, and I try to put my sunscreen in there. And what's in there? It's a bag full of rocks from the last time. Because last time we went to the beach, the kids picked up all the rocks and put them in the bags. I, get these rocks out of here. I'm trying to get my sunscreen and my snacks. Oh, you kids, you know. We've got this little tricycle, and the kids can pedal it, and it's got a handle for the adults, so when their little legs get tired, you can grab the back and push them on the trike. And underneath, it's got a little container, and I like to put a drink in there, you know, so I'll be walking, and then they need me to push them, and I'll put my little drink in there. And every time I need to push them, and I go to open that container, I open it up, and what is back in the container? It's a pile full of rocks, because they just love rocks. I'm get these things out of here. I, I need a place to put my drink. I was going in the store the other day, and I looked down, and, and there was a penny on the ground. And I thought, what a worthless thing to pick up, right? It's not even worth bending over and grabbing this penny. It's pointless. And then I went in, the, you know, was going around another time, and I looked down, there's a quarter. And I thought, there's no point in picking that up either. Why am I going to bend over and pick this up? It's worthless. And I thought... Well, no, actually, I can put this in the cart at Aldi's. I put it in the cart at Aldi's, then I'll have a cart to push around. I won't have to carry all my stuff. It's like, that's actually worth like five bucks. I'll pick that up and put it in. But how valuable does something need to be for you to pick it up off the ground? Does it have to be a dime? Is it a penny? Is it a dollar? King Solomon was so rich that for him, he wouldn't bend over and pick it up if it was anything less than gold. 1 Kings 10 says the king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stone. That's how wealthy King Solomon is. As we're looking at what kind of individual we're listening to speak, you know, does he know what he's talking about? He's the richest man in context in history. He made, he was so wealthy, silver was like rocks to him. King Solomon was a guy, when he put down his chair at the beach, he sat down and he opened up his little zippy bag and said, get this silver out of here. I need a place to put my sunscreen. I need a place to put my drinks. When he's pushing his kids around the block in the tricycle and he opens up the thing, it's filled with silver. Get this out of here. I need a place to put my drinks while I push my kids. 
When Solomon is driving down the road in his chariot, the chariot driver says, uh, sir, there's some precious metal down here. He says, well, if it's gold, just if it's anything less than gold, just forget it. Because that's how wealthy he was. And that's his testimony. He's got everything. He's got everything you could imagine, everything you could dream of. And he's telling you right now he's no happier than he was before. And will we learn from that wisdom? Will we learn from that experience? Essentially, what we do in life is we go through life doing the same thing King Solomon did, just with less resources. And we think, I need to try it out with a little more. I just need to try it out with a little more. Well, I haven't made it yet. It hasn't worked yet, but let me just try it again with a little more. And we have more money than anybody in the world. Even the average American, even, even Americans in lower income have more than almost anyone else in the world. One of the things that Sarah and I love to do is we love to watch a show, House Hunters. It's staged, which is disappointing when you find that out. It's all fake. But what they do is they go and they look at three different homes, and then supposedly they choose between these homes to pick one to purchase. And they discuss it, and they say, oh, this would be great for this, for our family, and this would, but this house has this thing, and it would be great. And you can watch them pick, and some of them they pick from these just extravagant, gorgeous homes, and it's so much fun to watch. And one of the things that we really like to do, too, is watch House Hunters International, where they go to other countries and look for homes. Now, I haven't been to most other countries, and I want to know what it's like. And so I watch these, these House Hunters shows and then where they pick between three of the most you know, beautiful, expensive homes in Italy, you know, half-million-dollar homes, or in, in France or Paris, these gorgeous houses. And they walk in to these houses in other countries, and they get to the kitchen, and I'm like, that's what they live like? They got fridges that are like college dorm fridges. I'm like, where am I going to fit all my two liters? And then you look at the kitchen, a lot of them don't even have stoves. They have a hot plate. A hot plate. That's what I had in college. When I owned nothing, you cook food for your family on a hot plate in other countries. And I'm like, we've got so much. And if money brought happiness, we'd be the happiest people on earth. But we're not. Even though Americans rank in the top nations as far as wealth, we barely crack the top 20 as far as happiness. And you think about what came before us, too. It's not just that we're wealthier than every person in the earth today, but every person throughout history. Think about people who lived just 110 years ago or so. They didn't enjoy any of the things that we enjoy today. They didn't have vehicles. They didn't have entertainment at their fingertips. They didn't have nice mattresses. They didn't have indoor plumbing. How could any of these people be happy with what they had? Even the wealthiest people had nothing comparatively. How could anybody have been happy before like 2009? How did they do it? And yet we all fall for the lie and forget that there are people right now who've got way more than us that are way more miserable. And I haven't been many places, but I've been on mission trips and you go to other countries and you meet these people with nothing who are way happier. And yet Satan gets us to fall from 
to his lie and turn our focus from the Lord and back on to things. And I looked for Solomon's wisdom. I went to Walmart. I looked in every aisle. I couldn't find it, so I went on Amazon. I searched for it. I typed in happiness. They couldn't give it to me. What they could give me was a lot of junk. But happiness wasn't for sale anywhere, and Solomon wants us to know there's a big difference between the two. You can buy a lot of junk. You can't buy happiness. And the Apostle Paul warns us about this in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through the craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. People have walked away from Jesus Christ, right? You look at this idol long enough and you'll leave the Lord. That's the interesting thing about idols. God is a God of grace. He's a God of mercy. When we repent, he forgives us. He refills us with his Holy Spirit over and over and over as we follow him. But if we take our eyes off of him for long enough and we look at an idol long enough, it's revealed that what really happened is he was never our God. This idol was, and we will walk away from him. Now, the whole losing your salvation conversation is a a sermon for a different time, but we don't lose our salvation. Those who are saved persevere to the end, and those who persevere to the end will be saved. But we can be on the right path to salvation, but then not get there because we've fallen to an idol. And the Apostle Paul says this is one of those idols that we will look at, and it will turn us away from the Lord and from his salvation. It's serious. It's a big thing. In fact, like I get distracted from the Lord, and I start thinking about money because I want comfort. I want joy. I want all these things. But what Paul tells me that you get when you love money is many pangs. What is the last time you used the word pang? That, <laughs> ping, pong, pang? What are we talking about here? Uh, the, the Greek word for, <laughs> for pang is udine. It made me laugh. It's many pains. I don't know why he just didn't say a lot of pain. But he wanted to say pangs, whoever translated the scripture. I don't want pangs. I got enough pangs. What I want is joy. <laughs> what I want is comfort. And so that means that I don't need to be chasing after money. Because Solomon tells me that that is like a bell. It's vanity. And the Bible isn't against money. Money is a tool. Just like a hammer, you can use a tool to fix something, to help someone. Or you can use a tool to smash somebody in the face. And the problem isn't with the hammer. The problem is with what's in our heart. Money's not evil in and of itself. Money, all it is, is a store of energy. And you use your energy to work and do this thing over here, and then somebody stores that energy and gives you that in a dollar, and then you can come over and release that energy over here, and you can pay someone or something to do something that you need. And so money's just transfer of energy, which is a wonderful thing that we can do. Money's not evil in and of itself. It's a tool. That way we don't have to spend all of our time bartering. Well, I'll trade you this if you trade me that. No, not enough. Okay, you know, you go back and forth, back and forth. Money is wonderful as a tool. But what we can do with it is we can have a problem in our heart with it, and that's greed. And greed is one of those sins that nobody thinks they have. Right? If you, if you curse in front of your mom, you know you've sinned. But every one of us can deceive ourselves and say, we're not being greedy. 
Well, I give this percentage of my income out of my complete abundance. I wouldn't notice at all if I didn't even have that income. But I'm not greedy. And it's so easy to convince ourselves that we're greedy. And being greedy is one of those sins that's almost impossible for you to recognize in yourself. And it's very difficult to repent of. It's a very serious sin. And the Bible's not against money, but it is against the love of money. And Jesus, and Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, he says that you can't worship both God and money. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, then your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either we will love the one or hate the one and love the other, or we'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And we like to think that we can do both. You can be generous with your money. You can give your money away. You can use it as a tool to help people, or you can use it as an instrument of greed and security in an effort to replace God and his provision in your life and instead look to your money. You can do a lot of things with your money. But what you can't do is you can't worship both it and God at the same time. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is good, then you'll be good. If it's dark, then you'll be dark. And when we start turning our eyes from God onto money, our eyes have become dark, and it won't be long before our soul is dark as well. And we think we'll be full if we just have a full house, a full bank account, a full closet. We can have a full everything and still be empty. And Solomon has gotten a full everything, and he's looked around, and he says, I'm still empty. It was all vanity. And I'm not here to be a hypocrite. When I preach a message, I guarantee it's for me. Over COVID, I downloaded a free investing app, free trades on stocks. They don't charge you at all. You can buy or sell a stock without any fee. And so I put a little money in and put it in there. Man, is that addicting. I wake up in the morning. The first thing I do is I don't check my Bible. I check that. Is, was yesterday a green day or a red day? Did the line go up or did it go down? When I'm in line, I take out my phone. I'm like, first thing I do, I'm waiting there. Is it going up? Is it a green day? Or is it a red day? It's super addicting. And I'm not here to be a hypocrite, but I, I want to ask, are you, is your focus on the Lord or on money? I know when my focus is on money because I check my bank account more than I do my Bible. And what have you been checking more lately? My goal this week, and you can join me in that, my goal is to take out my Bible and read it more than I look at my bank account. Is that even possible? I think I can do it. Do you think you can do it? Try to take out your Bible this week more than you do. Check your bank account. 
One of the happiest times in my life was in college when I shared a room with a couple other smelly guys and didn't have a dollar to my name. And yet I'm sitting there talking with Sarah, and I can show you guys right now. There is a 1984 Corvette, C4 Corvette on Facebook Marketplace in Independence, Missouri. It looks like it's in great condition. One owner for $5,000. Now, when I was a kid, all the cool guys, all the rich guys drove C4 Corvettes. I was born in 82, the year the C4, or the year before the C4 came out. And everyone would drive, all these cool guys would drive down the street. And I'm like, I can own one of those things for $5,000. Do you hear me talking about this right now? Come up to me later today and ask me to talk about Jesus and see if I can talk up as excitedly about that. You know when you're worshiping stuff when you talk like I just did about a C4 Corvette. I've got other old junky cars I can drive around. I don't need to buy that one. My first car I bought was a 2002 PT Cruiser. I bought it in 2005. I know, don't laugh. It was like the only hatchback they had back then. And as someone who needed a car that was small and economical, like fit, it was a great buy for me. I bought it. I was so excited. I actually liked the way it looked. My friends all made fun of me, but I drove around. Sarah thought I was rich when she met me because everyone who drove PT Cruisers was like old and had a lot of money. They're not expensive cars. I got it for 9,500, but it was the most expensive thing I ever owned. I owned it for about two weeks and I'm sitting there at work all and it starts hailing. And I'm thinking, no, I've had it for two weeks. The next most expensive car I bought was my Honda Pilot. I was looking online for a long time. I found a deal in Milwaukee. I drove all the way to Milwaukee to pick up this Honda Pilot because it's such a good deal. Most expensive vehicle I've ever bought in my life. I'm driving home with it. On the way home, I drove over a nail and a truck kicked up a rock and cracked the windshield. And by the time I got home, I didn't like it anymore. And then I sit here and I think, this is the answer. I'll be happy if I get this C4 Corvette. There's nothing wrong with having things. There's something wrong, though, with looking to things to fulfill you rather than God. That's what's wrong. Life was meant to be lived with God, and yet we spend most of our life trying to get rid of him and fill his place with some stuff. And you know your identity is in God when you look to him for your source of strength and joy. When you're down, what do you do? When you're shaken, what do you do? When you're apathetic, what do you do? When life gets old and mundane, where do you turn? Is it the Lord? Or is it some stuff? And the stuff is a mirage. You get the PT Cruiser, and it looks like, you know what a mirage is in the desert? Remember those Looney Tunes commercials where they're, they're so thirsty, and then the little mirage, a picture of the spring comes up in the desert, and they get there, and they, they grab it, and they shove all the water in their mouth. Turns out it was a bunch of sand. Does anybody remember that? Anybody watch Looney Tunes? We got every, great, I was showing my kids Looney Tunes the other day. They thought it was amazing. Like, you're never watching this. Wiley Coyote's like blowing everybody up, and it's just constant bloodshed. I was like, this is brutal. I don't want to give them any ideas. Anyway, it's a mirage. You get the vehicle, you get the new car, you get the house, and all of a sudden you see the problems, and it vanishes, and you're left empty. It's a total mirage. And our purpose is to live life with God, not replace him with things. Our purpose is to live life with God, not with things meant to replace God. 
This is Marcus Parsons. He invented the game Minecraft. He sold the game Minecraft a few years ago to Microsoft for $2.8 billion. Billion dollars. I don't know how many zeros that is off the top of my head. Is that nine? Nine zeros and then a number? Could you imagine? Isn't that what all of us want? Wouldn't you just love? That's what all of us are thinking about. If I just could do something like that, wouldn't that be amazing? I could sell it for $2.8 billion. He bought his own island, I think, pretty sure. I think he bought his own island. He had these extravagant parties with his mansion on his island. He didn't have money before. Now he's got $2.8 billion, and he had an incredibly public and profane meltdown on Twitter. After this, this doesn't fulfill me at all. Here are some of the less profane ones. He says, the problem with getting everything is you run out of reasons to keep trying and human interaction becomes impossible due to imbalance. He's miserable. Hanging out in Ibiza with a bunch of friends and partying with famous people, able to do whatever I want, and I've never felt more isolated. He goes through tweet after tweet. I can't show most of them because he's cursing in them. He's miserable. We think that's what I want. And King Solomon's like, it ain't that great. Well, you be nice, and you got you can do this one or that one. <laughs> why do we do this? Well, King Solomon tells us why we do this. He says, "Then I saw that all toil and all skill and work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and a striving." after the wind. This is why people could be happy before 2009, because they didn't know what was coming. If we knew what was coming, we'd be miserable 24-7. If you knew what was coming in 2027, you'd be so unhappy right now because you don't have it. What happens is we get our car, we get whatever, and we look at the neighbor and say, wow, look what they've got. That's a little better than mine. And you look at my daughter, she's having a great time in the snow. We got a snowball. We're rolling that thing up. It's a great snowball. And then she looks over to brothers and she says, I want a big one. <laughs> and now she's miserable. Facebook is the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. And I've experienced it firsthand. And one day I snapped out of it. And I'm so much happier that I don't go on Facebook anymore because that's all I do. I don't know if you can control it. I don't think I can. All I do on Facebook is I go through and I look at that vacation. Look at that person's stuff. And I'm unhappy when I get done. And then I start thinking I gotta keep up. And so then I'm taking pictures of what I got and what we're doing. And then I'm uploading, uploading everything. And they've done studies that show that the people who are on Facebook more struggle with mental illness more. And I've experienced it. I don't want that. And that's why we're miserable. We spend our lives buying stuff we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't know. If that's not a recipe to be miserable, I don't know what else is. It's all vanity. 
I got to see how many times Solomon uses that word in this book. It's all the time. It's all vanity under the sun. What Solomon says is, if we're looking for meaning, if we're miserable, if we're looking to be fulfilled, trying to keep up with what other people have, trying to find fulfillment in money is as pointless as striving after the wind. How many of you thought that was the weirdest story in the world when I started off with that? What kind of, who is this guy? And Solomon looks at each one of us and says, that's the strangest thing I've ever seen. That's the biggest, foolish, that's the most pointless exercise as you sit there and try to fill your bank account more and more and try to fulfill yourself. It's like trying to fill your heart with a bank account. It's like trying to fill the jar with some wind. It'll never work and you'll never be full. And if that's us, if our focus has been taken off of God onto that, we need to think bigger. And Jesus tells us how to be fulfilled. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Well, we've been talking about Ecclesiastes, and we talked about it last week, and Ecclesiastes is a miserable book because it's written by a miserable man as he goes through his misery. And at the end, he comes to the right conclusion. The Gospels give us a very full picture of Jesus from his presence as we read about him and who he is and what he's like and what he says. But one of the greatest teaching tools is to learn about something from its opposite, and that is Ecclesiastes. And you read about it, and you read how miserable this man is without Jesus, and it inspires us to turn away from his example. As I was growing up, I looked at certain people in my life who were doing terrible things, and I said, I don't want to do that. And it saved me from doing terrible things. Some people are motivated by a positive example, the presence of Jesus. Other people or other times in their life are motivated by a negative example, and we learn from that. And that's Ecclesiastes. That's Solomon. It's a misery. You can learn about Jesus from his absence in Ecclesiastes. But here in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus tells us, the way to go positively. If you want joy in life, seek first the kingdom of God. What does it look like to not seek after money? Well, you know, when I was a, a pastor in seminary, I thought, you know, I thought I was going to have no money forever. I thought I was like going into this thing and I didn't like it, but I was okay with, you know, doing it because I wanted to follow the Lord. But I was praying. I was like, Lord, don't give me a calling. That's really tough. <laughs> don't, don't give me, I'll go anywhere, Lord, but please don't make it bad. And I remember I met this guy, <laughs> this guy in seminary who lived up on the Iron Range of Northern Minnesota and he planted a church and he had visions of, you know, being the mega church, the new church in town with 700 people coming in and out. Everybody's got a nice car. Everybody looks good. The church where everybody's cool. And what happened was he couldn't reach any of those people for Christ, but he did reach this MMA fighter who had no money at all. And this MMA fighter was looking for the Lord and he invited all of his MMA fighter friends in and he ended up having a church that was almost exclusively MMA fighters and they all met in his home and eventually they all started living in his house because MMA fighters have no money. And this guy is telling me this story. I was like, oh Lord, (laughs) 
<laughs> but that guy was full of joy. It was completely different than what he was hoping, what he thought. But he was reaching people for Christ. He was doing the Lord. He had nothing. And he had a house full of violent, smelly young men with no money. And he could be happy in that. That's seeking the kingdom of God. That's seeking God first. Every time I've bought a new car, I'm all excited about it, and within a minute, I'm disappointed. Every time I've bought a new house, I've bought it, and within a minute, I'm disappointed, and I'm reminded that none of that matters. Take it all. Take it all as long as I have Jesus. I'd rather have him than any of it. Give me the Lord. Seeking first the kingdom of God says, you come to church to seek the Lord. You know what I do most Sundays? I come to church to try to seek the Lord to get him to give me some stuff. It's like I come to church so he'll hear me better, so I'm closer, because he didn't hear me well enough when I prayed for more stuff when I was at home. So I come here and I think, well, now you're going to hear, Lord, I need this and I need that and I need this. And I try to use God to get things that I love. But what God meant is, for us to use things so that we can get here and love him. God is to be loved and things are to be used. But instead, we try to use God to get things. But if we want the things that are good, we need to seek him first. There are people with way less than us right now who are way happier. And if we want what they have, we need to stop focusing on our things and start seeking God's kingdom first. I've never been able to outgive God. If your experience is different, I'd like to let I'd like to hear from you, but I've never been able to outgive God. He has all the things. He has all the things that I want. Comfort, peace, and joy. And the more that I try to hoard things for myself, the more miserable I am, and the more I give to God, the more happiness and joy and blessings I receive in return. The more I seek his will first, the better my life gets. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Solomon says in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, He says, I hated my toil in which I toiled under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool, yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also was vanity. You'll never see a U-Haul behind a hearse. It's over. You worked your whole life to pile up this junk, and somebody else is just going to get it. And so I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What is a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity." There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. 
No matter if you got $5 or $5 million, if you're able to take a moment and enjoy it, that's a gift from God. The ability to enjoy what he's given you is a gift. And you can have a lot or you can have a little. And whether you're happy is whether or not God has given you that gift. And so seek him. We need to seek him. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. Solomon says, you gather, you gather, you gather, and you seek to fill your heart with it, but it, it's just a vapor and it just blows away. And last week we talked about how everything Solomon says, I think it was in chapter three, Everything that God does endures forever. Everything else blows away. And we think, I need a new car. I need that new TV. I need that new job. And really what we should be thinking is I need a new attitude. What I need is a new attitude. The book of Ecclesiastes is a difficult book to read because it is such a depressing journey because life apart from God is exactly that. It is discouraging. It is awful. But in the end, chapter 12, Solomon comes to the right conclusion. He returns to the Lord. And he says in chapter 12, he says, Remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years drawn near of which he will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return to the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few and those who look through the windows are dimmed. And the doors on the street are shut when the sound of the grinding... When, what word am I supposed... Can you go back to that? Did I skip some verses? Can you go back to that page? What verse is it? Before the silver cord is snapped. Or the so he goes on and on. As you can, it gets, it, he's, it's very dark, okay? We'll just skip down a few verses. What is that, six? Before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken. I was, he was making me too miserable. We had to skip a few of that. <laughs> or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel is broken at the cistern. Oh, come on. And the dust returns to the earth as it was and the spirit returns to the God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. All is vanity. And Paul, and what he says is we think we need a new house. We think we need a new car. We think we need a new job. But what we need is a new outlook. He says, remember also your creator in verse 12. Because <laughs> this is what life is about. Verse one through eight. So the answer, we have to remember the Lord and turn our focus from those things to him. Our purpose has got to be bigger than our finances. We've got to think bigger. We've got to think from Get out from thinking under the sun and think above the sun. And what does that look like for your week this week? What idols have you placed before the Lord? What do you focus on? What do you look to bring yourself strength and joy and comfort? And we need to return to the Lord and seek that from him and put our identity in him. And let's pray.